Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, and today we're going to talk about some issues in public education. With me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have two guests with us today. Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation Superintendent John Quick is back with us, and Richland Bean Blossom School Corporation Superintendent Steve Kane is here today also. You can join us in the discussion at our new website, wfiu.org slash noon. Or, as always, you can call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. So welcome to the program. Thank you Thank for you. putting us on. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks. Be here. Thanks for being here. There's a lot going on in education, as always. And, and, and I was supposed to pick Bob up today, so I'm making a very public <laughs> apology because I forgot about it. But I made it anyway. She tried to <laughs> commandeer the show, but I made it. Darn it. All right. Um, we just came through an election. You two had very different results with two referendums. And let's talk to, to Steve first. Um, RBB had a referendum for a, a new building and some renovation and, and it was defeated. Yes. Uh, we uh, were really on the uh, tail end of a three-year proposal to uh, expand and renovate uh, in the school district. Uh, back in December, the board had opted for a $57 million project. Uh, and I came back in January and uh, we uh, downsized that because the uh, community was saying that was too much money and uh, uh, they wanted to have a chance to vote on that. And the legislature came through with a referendum idea. And so we downscaled the $35 million and put it on the referendum. And uh, the community said, no, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're moving ahead. Mm-hmm. That was one of those uh, election night issues that was very confusing mm-hmm. for us, I know, because 2 o'clock in the morning, I, I myself talked to Jim Fielder who said, yeah, I, I live out there and I'm surprised it won. Mm-hmm. And so we had that in the paper and, in mm-hmm. fact, it was the other way around. Mm-hmm. So so when you uh, say you're going to move ahead, what what's next? When- well, at this point, uh, we are uh, going to have uh, two new board members in January and that will uh, be <coughs> something that we will bring together and uh, see what direction the board as a whole will want to head. Uh, we obviously have some uh, issues to deal with because uh, the – the innards or the guts of the junior high and the high school are over 40 years old now. Mm. So mm. we are uh, looking at the uh, prospect of replacing boilers that are now uh, way beyond their u- normal useful life and uh, those items will not be inexpensive. So we're going to have to use capital projects and available funds uh, for that and if the board chooses to uh, – go back and to the drawing board and try another type of project. Uh, we'll be doing that in this coming spring. All right. And John in Columbus, you had a little different uh, experience this year. Yes, we had an $89 million uh, project for the two high schools or addition and renovations. Uh, uh, about 40 percent of our square footage across the district of these two flagship schools. And uh, we had a similar issue that North High School, more than 50-year-olds, the boilers and some of the mm-hmm. heating, ventilation, air conditioning, more than 35 years old at some of uh, East High School. Uh, fortunately, uh, the community did support us. We, this was a project that uh, we had ready to go in July of 2007 and then when the property tax kind of revolt <laughs> uh, happened all across, particularly at 
in Indianapolis. Uh, mm-hmm. We pulled the project. We couldn't answer the question at that time of what, what will it do to your tax rate. And we mm-hmm. hadn't had a tax bill all year. And so uh, we decided then uh, this summer, the summer of 08, uh, of, uh, when the rules changed, uh, to bring the project back. And uh, we were fortunate, I think, that the community uh, stepped forward and supported it. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of a campaign to mm-hmm. educate the public did you mount? To I, I, I often think that that's so important when you're trying right. to – to sell this kind of a project, well, well, it is, and you know, I, I have uh, I have some empathy for my uh, colleague here. We lost a petition remonstrance in two thousand one, two thousand two on a on a large project. It wasn't a high school project; it was an elementary middle school project. And so, I know what it is to be on the other side. Uh, we uh, we had involved about uh, fifty stakeholders for the last uh, uh, three years, and then we kept. You know, revising and revising. Uh, I think I spoke and ate meals with every community group. I think that is out there. I can tell you, you know, when all the Qantas meet, and we we were we tried to uh, write a lot of guest opinions, and, mm-hmm. and we tried to boil it down to something pretty simple to us. We had some debt coming off, which is also an advantage, and we have a a little bigger tax base. So it came down to with debt coming off, two for two dollars a month. If you had a hundred thousand dollar home that for $2 a month, we could make these improvements to our, our uh, high schools. And I think folks related to something as a, you know, a pretty simple message, I think, there. Mm-hmm. I have, have to say that uh, when, when the governor's plan was approved and all of these major capital projects were going to be coming mm-hmm. before the public in a referendum, I, I really didn't know if any of them would get approved. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, congratulations to you in Columbus. For- well, I think uh, you really had to work on it to work at it. I think there were only five. So you uh-huh. really had to get your act together really to get it on the, the ballot because you had to have almost everything done by the 1st of August to, to get it on. And I know that some folks missed that that deadline. So you really had to work at it. There weren't that many out there. And I think most of the project that I'm – of which I were, was aware were pretty concise you know, uh, really projects folks had talked about for a long time. Mm-hmm. I know uh, I'd say, Steve, at RBB, there was – there had been a lot of discussion and I know, as you said, you went from $57 million to $37, 35000000 million and there, there, were, there were a lot of people who were supportive and, and were very vocal about it but you, of course, had a lot of opponents too. We were in a time crunch uh, and the law now prevents the school corporation or any architect or whatever <laughs> – uh, actually spending money after that uh, 1028 hearing to promote the project. So we were at a ha- real disadvantage there. Uh, a lot of the parents who supported it felt like, oh, that's a no-brainer. Uh, we'll support it. But the opposition was very well organized and uh, they made a uh, conscious decision that uh, – their pocketbook was more important than the education of our kids. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Superintendent Steve Kane from the Richland Bean Blossom School Corporation and Superintendent John Quick from the Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation. We're talking about a lot of education issues today. You can join us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or you can go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon, and you can uh, certainly participate in the program there by sending uh, your messages, your comments, your quotes, your questions in there. Steve, that was kind of a, a downer uh, question for you, really. <laughs> well, let's let's uh, back up just a little bit and, and uh, take a kind of an overview of what's going on in RBB and tell us some things you're most excited about. Well, we, we have a tremendous community, a great parent support, a lot of uh, activities for the kids. 
we have a nice size school corporation. It's not too small, but it's large enough that we can do a lot of things academically that a smaller district might not do. Mm-hmm. But uh, most people look upon us as a stepchild of Monroe County uh, because of the size difference. But uh, we're uh, larger than 200 school districts in the state, so we have a lot to offer and uh, we have a good uh, administrative staff and we really have a good board. So I'm looking forward to what we can do here in the future. Now, you just opened an alternative school, correct? Yes. Uh, the Edge? Right? In, in July of 07, the board moved ahead with an alternative program uh, called The Edge because of Edgewood. Uh, we graduated 12 uh, students last spring from that program that uh, really had dropped out of school and would not have graduated otherwise. But they get the individual attention, uh, and we limit enrollment uh, each semester to 15 students. And uh, so the staff is able to really focus on that. And they are in a separate facility. So the kids have some ownership and they're very pleased with uh, the attention that they are getting. And those are high school children? Yes. Those are primarily uh, students who would be in their junior or senior year. They would not be they would not like being called children, though, I'm sure. No, I know. I thought about that as soon as it came out of my mouth. Sorry. Apologies to the kids at the edge. I apologize. The young adults at the edge. Right. And right. in Bartholomew County, you just uh, started a new tech. We Bloomington, Monroe County started a new tech high school, and, and you have a new tech as well. Right. Uh, we call them signature academies, uh, and we actually open K through 9. We took an elementary school uh, that has about 275 students. Uh, and it uh, opened also this fall. We have a team at Central Middle School that's under this model. Uh, and then our high school is just freshmen, but we took an old warehouse actually and have renovated that, and uh, we're getting a lot of attention. It's it's part of what we're trying to do uh, in, in uh, looking at uh, three broad areas, which is literacy, uh, multiple pathways, and fairness and equity. And, uh, you know, that fits into one of the pathways. We, we think about 12 percent or so of our students will be in this pathway that is that project-based learning, integrated curriculum in a technology-rich environment. So mm-hmm. we're pretty excited about that. I think we're the only spot that we know of in the country that's also trying this to, to get sort of a feeder system for this mm-hmm. too. So we're mm-hmm. really excited about that. Now, I, with the uh, project-based learning, I know that, that you, know, you, you have the, the Signature Academy and, and New Tech High School. It's also been used somewhat in, in regular classrooms. And Steve, mm-hmm. at RBB, do you have teachers that sort of specialize in that? Yes, we do. And we've uh, connected with uh, the uh, Hoosier Hills Career Center. And we do have uh, programs geared to – especially to the medical uh, field because of the – uh, situation we have here in Monroe County. So mm-hmm. we're working on that. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about the life sciences? Yes. Really trying to grow the life sciences right. industry. And so you're starting young and, and getting them accustomed then to working in project-based atmospheres? Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I want to ask a question just just to get your feedback on it because Monroe County is going through a superintendent search right now. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in, that I ever know of, it's been a very open search where the candidates, three candidates are coming in and having forums. And I wish the two of you who are superintendents would talk about the pros and cons of such a search, such an open search. 
I, uh, of course, <laughs> maybe I'm the senior superintendent here. <laughs> well, you've been, you're uh, in your third it's stint. It's a very uh, unique uh, concept. And the, my only concern would be that uh, it might uh, frighten away some candidates because if you think about there are three of them right now. Two of them are not going to be selected right. and they go back to their jobs uh, in their communities. And uh, so mm-hmm. what does that do with their board relationships right. and uh, community relationships? Whereas in uh, the normal situation, uh, the uh, finalists are not known maybe until the very last minute. Uh, and even then, sometimes the finalists are not known. Mm-hmm. So uh, – it, it it's good for the community mm-hmm. because they get a better introduction to the people. Well, hopefully there would be more support for the candidate at the end of the day because uh, there's some buy-in and there feels like some ownerships. But I would share probably Steve's concern uh, relative to folks that uh, you know may have to go back home and and it, and it didn't work out. So. Uh, I, I think it'll be good for this community. I'm not sure the other two yeah. <laughs> communities will will fare quite as well, but I, it it's, uh, probably has some positives. I've sort of been interested in the in the forums. Just in fact, it, it, I mean, I, I'm always you know I'm in the kind of business mm-hmm. that we want everything to be open, so we, we're supportive mm-hmm. of this. But I've been a little bit um, surprised at the numbers of people that have gone to the first two forums. I think there were 60 at one and 75 at another. So it's not like. You know, hundreds of people are going out to see the superintendent candidate. Yeah, I have more of a business background, and I find this kind of horrifying, really. I I can't imagine. Well, truly, I mean, I can't imagine as a candidate anything worse. And I'm not sure, um, actually, that I agree that it's all that great for the community. Only, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if if you're galvanized uh, Mm -hmm. for one candidate and and that is not the ultimate selection, I think there's a reason that personnel things are done in fairly small groups. Um, And I think that there's some wisdom in in trusting the people. And and the school board's elected. And this is one of the things they're elected to do is Mm -hmm. to make these difficult decisions. And I'm not sure I'm a fan of hiring by committee. So well, I'm sure the people in the business area would be uh, dis- disappointed if their salaries were published in the newspaper as <laughs> superintendent salaries are. And uh, I, I think we're getting away from the concept of rep- representative democracy. That's what we have. We have a republic. We don't have a democracy. A yeah. And so <laughs> the the voters have selected seven or five people to operate the schools and those people should be the ones making the decisions. I really believe that. It's almost – it's true whether you're talking about county commissioners, county auditors, county treasurers, whatever. We do not operate in the town hall mode in this country. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have here with the open forums, great for the media – but if you'll look at the HT blog on the last two candidate stories, mm-hmm. hardly anyone is responding. Mm-hmm. And to me, that says the people either are not interested or they believe the choice should be made by the board. Mm-hmm. And I just think there are so many privacy issues. Whenever you get into any kind of a personnel issue, um, I just think it's it's kind of opening a can of worms that is may not – be the wisest thing to do. Well, I'm glad we talked about it because I think it's really interesting. Not that anybody to me. cares I, what my was, opinion is, but I don't know. I well, just... we all care. <laughs> I, I was really surprised at the at the decision to to go that way. So I, I really want to get your feedback. I appreciate it. John, do you have something else? 
Well, is it a response to the community or was the community demanding this because they thought they had a bad you – know, well, I don't know. I mean it's – I don't know. I mean our community and Steve well knows this is – you know, it's a very vocal community and, <laughs> and it's very interested in openness and I think the fact that the, that the last – superintendent who was hired, it just didn't work out very well. And uh-huh. I think that that probably has created – I mean Steve – and I certainly don't mean uh, Jim Harvey, but yeah. John Malloy before right. him didn't work out very well. And I think that that's uh-huh. why you're seeing this. All right. We have our first phone okay. caller of the day. Bob is on the line. Bob? Greetings to the superintendents. Um, the question is about uh, international baccalaureate degree program that uh, – I heard about this last night, a friend visiting from Columbus. Is that uh, going to happen? Could you talk about it? Uh, the international pathways is one of the pathways when I talked earlier about uh, studying, and there will be a report to the board from a committee. We have a working committee talking about that. Um, I look for the, us to explore an international pathways, whether that results in a, an IBO diploma uh, I, I don't know. There Can you is, define define that for us a little bit? Give well, us a little primer on what you're well, trying to do. There, there is an international um, – there were about 56 uh, or so uh, degrees international baccalaureate in the state this year. Uh, some of them were for the international school in Indianapolis and then North Central High School. Uh, it is um, uh, an internationally accepted curriculum. That was developed, uh, I believe, in the in the 60s, uh, but it's accepted ar- around the country. It's it's uh, it's pretty robust. Uh, it's it's it, it is challenging. Uh, it would be uh, probably a little more uh, traditional in the content, although there is some integration of the uh, of the disciplines. So, uh, it's it is also a pathway that's expensive. Um, and uh, that's one of the things that you, that you look at. But I think uh, there is some interest in our community. I know about the international baccalaureate, and and we're certainly studying that. Would that be kind of a charter school situation, or? Well, we have looked at um, either schools within the school or looked at magnet. These schools that we open, including the signature schools, the three that I talked about, are actually magnet schools. So the students that attend the high school that we have, even though it's at a separate campus, are either a North student or an East student. That way they can participate in extracurriculars. Mm-hmm. And so we, we went the magnet school route instead of the charter school route. Could and there's some just, financial reasons for that. Could you def- kind of tell us the difference between well, a magnet a, and a charter? A, a charter school is, uh, in essence, replicates a public school system in that you would have your own school board, you would have your own uh, policies, uh, you get general fund dollars uh, from the state. Uh, you do not get some dollars from some of the other tax-supported funds, which was one of the reasons why when we explored that, it, it wasn't quite as attractive to us in, in that respect. We also think that a magnet concept that our students have the best of both worlds, which is that maybe they have this environment that we've created in New Tech, but for a period or two, they might want to go to the other high school for a class. And if they want to participate you know, in extracurriculars and you know, want to be in band or want to be – they have that opportunity, whereas with the charter, you get your own number – Thus, then that school is mm-hmm. separate with the ISHA and there's some other complications there. So, uh, you know, we, we respect folks' uh, choice and we respect, you know, folks looking at, at all different kind of options for students. And, and the international pathway is the one that we are studying and it may be one that we consider, uh, you know, as a community. So the magnet is more of a school within a school? It can be. Uh, with the signature, um, 
we, uh, we do that at a separate campus. All the students can take courses elsewhere. But you can also do some schools within the school uh, in a magnet concept also. Okay. Thank all you. Right, all right. I just need a little more information about the International mm. Baccalaureate. So what kind of a curriculum and what kind of a student might be interested in it? Uh, students, uh, well, um, you know, I think all uh, students across the board could be in, uh, interested in it. I think traditionally uh, those students that uh, intended to go to um, uh, traditional uh, colleges, four-year colleges in particular, uh, seem to be interested in, in this curriculum. Um, uh, What's different from the re- a, a more traditional curriculum, I guess? Well, um, or college prep, for example, because it, it sounds it, like a it little is. more challenging. Now, you know, and I know that it can get confusing with well, what's what's an a, uh, AP class mm-hmm. versus you know an accelerated class and those those sorts. Uh, uh, the teachers have to go through uh, a pretty intense training and be certified uh, that that they will deliver this curriculum. Uh, so the curriculum is is uh, pretty prescribed. It's more a pre- prescribed content curriculum. Uh, versus, uh, so in a lot of ways, it would contrast with the project based in some ways. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. there is some interdisciplinary to it, but uh, but it uh, it would probably what you and I would say is is more the uh, traditional curriculum, so only I, more only more robust. Okay, so the international part isn't really referring to uh, a focus uh, a cultural. Well, yeah, yeah, it can. It can. Uh, for example, we would probably look at foreign language for our elementary students because we, we're also looking at this uh, systemically. So, if you would would say that this is an international pathway, should this also be an elementary mm-hmm. international pathway? Which means that perhaps the uh, you know the uh, foreign languages would be taught in the elementary, and we would look mm-hmm. at that. So, uh, you know, I'm not the curriculum director. Our uh-huh. secondary guy is probably saying, "Well, here, here, say this, and this." And <laughs> <laughs> uh, if he's listening on the radio now, but uh, and we have a committee that's going to be reporting to the board, and they've been studying this for about a year. And, uh, uh, and it, you know, it's interesting. We know there's some folks in Columbus that are interested, and Bob's called in. I know that there are some folks that are interested in this, and uh, and we're certainly exploring it. Great know. question, Bob. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay. Thank Take you, Bob. Care. All right, eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. And you can join the discussion also at WFIU.org slash noon. Um, this whole idea of international, I think I, this is one thing I was maybe getting a little hung up on. Thank you for pursuing that line of questioning, Mary Catherine, because like with new tech, people originally think what's well, all about technology. And when I heard international, um, I, I thought it was something that had to do with really developing your skills in some culture other mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. your native culture. So. Which is kind of a reasonable – Thing, especially we've got Michael McRobbie here at Indiana University who's saying, you know, who's pushing international experiences very strongly and says, you know, that's absolutely a vital part of of a a, a well-rounded education now. And so I thought, you know, perhaps Mm -hmm. that was kind of the – and it sounds like to some extent it actually is that. And Steve, so in RBB, how how are – languages and different cultures taught now. I mean, I think back to way back in my day when, you know, we could take Spanish or Latin and then right. all, then eventually we could take French. Or you know? German. Mm-hmm. No, no, no German. You didn't no, have no, German no, in, no, in no, Winchester? No, we didn't. <laughs> no. We're uh, a fairly uh, typical uh, Hoosier community that has not been touched by the international flavor yet. Uh, I think we have to be uh, open to those possibilities. Uh, it doesn't take too much of a change in uh, your demographics as far as the employment 
uh, can change rapidly. I worked in a school community that 10 years ago had uh, 40 Hispanic students, and now they have 1,100. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things can change rapidly, and the community has to be ready to deal with those. And so uh, we're uh, stressed uh, to the point of college prep, uh, basically. Uh, we have the four major languages. Uh, I was a Latin teacher, and that has gone by the wayside. So, yeah. Some uh, might say it's dead. <laughs> uh, we did say that. Yeah. So, but in contrast, we have uh, 1,100 students speaking 43 different languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. And we do have some, you know, if you have a Fortune 500 company that recruits all over the world, you, uh, you have a little bit, you know, you have an interest in that. So, um, the demographics are changing. The diversity in our school district changes, and uh, there is, you know, there's a lot of varied interest there. All right, we've hit uh, the break point in our show, so we're going to have to take a short break. Uh, we're talking today with Steve Kane, the superintendent of the Richland Bean Blossom School Corporation, and John Quick, the superintendent of the Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. If you're a person on the go, you can take WFIU programs with you. We're podcasting. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer. Listen anytime from your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game musical mini quiz and movie play and opera reviews. You can find out how with a visit to our website at wfiu.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we're talking about public education today. And we have two fine superintendents in our from our area with us today, Steve Kane from the Richland Bean Blossom School Corporation and John Quick from the Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation. You can join us uh, on the program at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or you can send email to noon at indiana.edu or you can join us at our new website, which is what we hope you'll start doing, wfiu.org slash noon. Um, I wanted to ask about the recent political campaign. I know the two of you get into classrooms some, but you're not classroom teachers and you're not principals. Mm-hmm. But I just wonder if, if, you're, if you had any sense of how the political campaign affected the students in your corporations. There was a lot of involvement, a lot of interest, uh, and the students uh, uh, did come out to vote that were eligible to vote. Uh, we saw a lot of uh, uh, sh- T-shirts around mm-hmm. uh, with uh, different uh, mm-hmm. names on it. Uh, Sarah and Obama uh, were quite popular. 
And uh, I think it's great that we had that kind of turnout. Mm -hmm. I think in our school district, uh, we approached 80 percent turnout. And uh, that in itself, of course, we had a school board election. Mm -hmm. We had the Mm -hmm. referendum and and the great Mm -hmm. national uh, program. I think a lot of the uh, other races kind of got lost. Uh, The governor's race uh, did not get a lot of attention. Um, And locally, the uh, county uh, situation was uh, pretty much uh, all one-sided. That's right. Probably in three decades in this business, I I haven't seen students as excited as they were this time. Of course, we had Bill Clinton came to town and Chelsea Clinton came to town. But when Obama came to town, we had kids camping out. Four in the morning, mm-hmm. five in the morning. There, you know, some kids even slept overnight. Make sure that they were the first one to get into the gym to see it. So, uh, I mean, he was a rock star, and he charged up the kids. And I know that some of the students uh, kind of organized themselves, and some voted early and and walked from the school down to the courthouse one night. A few of them to to vote early. So, I think it was a great thing uh, for the students. The conversations were were very good. Mm-hmm. Now, Obama came to one of the high schools. He came to East High School. East High School. Right. What was it like to prepare for that visit? <laughs> well, you know, I, I was in on, uh, you know, talking with the, with the advanced teams and, and Obama. You hear about, the, you know, that, what a great campaign he ran. And I can tell you, he was surrounded by very bright people who were very organized. I uh, uh, got an opportunity. My wife and I got an opportunity to meet him, talk to him, talk a little bit about education before the for the forum. And I can tell you, uh, it really charged folks. And whether you know it was an R or a D after your name, every, it seems like everybody in town wanted to come and join in on a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that was what was so positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to drop back to the state level and talk about the uh, tax reform and Mm -hmm. that legislation and what kind of impact it's had on Mm -hmm. your budgeting process and and obviously with the requirement of the referendum that had a big impact on both of you but Mm -hmm. other impacts. Well, the big impact uh, for us is that uh, the general fund is going to be taken over completely by the state. So we lost – property tax uh, payments of about $6 million or a half of our uh, tax rate will disappear here in 2009. Now, our only concern is that uh, property tax is always very dependable, and mm-hmm. whereas state revenues are not. And uh, with uh, a check due to us on January 15th from the state for the general fund operations, we, mm-hmm. we're counting on it. And uh, I'm hoping that the economy will support it through the 12 months. I'm, I'm uh, leery of what will happen in the summertime with uh, state revenue. And they can always say, uh, come along and say, well, you were supposed to get a million this time. Uh, we're going to have to cut that back to 800000 And uh, I hope that doesn't happen. But that's a hazard that we face with the uh, general fund operations being supported by um, – sales tax, income tax, and what have you. Mm-hmm. It probably lessens the pressure between the schools and the, and the patrons. We think that did impact our referendum. Uh, probably loss uh, for our CPF. Uh, CPF? We, uh, capital uh, Projects okay. Fund mm-hmm. for maintenance and, and so forth. Uh, we, we will see a shortfall there. I mean, we'll have left dollars coming in there, so we'll put more pressure on the ability to pass res- referendums in the future. Uh, one concern in addition to what Steve mentioned is uh, uh, the fear of loss of local control. Uh, you know, the, the state pays for it, so 
sometimes folks that pay the band want to call the tune a little more, and, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's one thing that you, you that you worry about a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I was at the Indiana Memorial Union early in the morning, and I ran into Swell and Reed, which was a, a nice mm-hmm. surprise. Sure. Um, and I, I thanked her for the work that she's done for all of our children in this state. She's been a hard worker, but um, she will no longer be our state superintendent of right. schools. We've got uh, new folks in town, mm-hmm. and I'd just like to get your reactions to that and uh, what you foresee or if you've had an opportunity to, in fact, meet with the folks that are going to be uh, fulfilling those positions now. I really uh, did not know uh, Tony Bennett uh, at all. I met him briefly this summer. Uh, I know he has... Uh, about 20 years of experience in schools, and uh, he's been a superintendent for a year or so. Uh, so he brings uh, a wide uh, variety of experiences to the position, and I think a lot of it depends on uh, the governor's direction. Uh, even though it's an elected position, uh, the governor is going to exercise a great deal of control, and that's a position I'd like to see changed from being elected to being appointed by the governor. Why is that? Well, the uh, education of the state uh, is very important, and I've always been bothered by the fact that the state superintendent is uh, elected by the voters who may not know anything about the candidates and uh, uh, very little background in education. So uh, I think we put ourselves at risk. Um. I know uh, Tony Bennett and I uh, know Richard Wood, who was the other, both two very fine gentlemen. Um, uh, I, I think that uh, there will be a good conversation, though, with the with the House being controlled by one party and the Senate another, and mm-hmm. so I think the good news for the schools uh, in my position, trying to be apolitical, mm-hmm. is I, I I like for there to be a conversation, a little bit of balance here. Mm-hmm. So I think we still have that, and right. so. I think that's a good thing. Do you, either one of you have any uh, goals, uh, legislative agenda, things you'd like to see get through the legislature this year? Well, I think we're always concerned about the financial support of education and then uh, John mentioned earlier the uh, control of what we do in the schools. Uh, we are organized in such a way that we believe in local control. And uh, if uh, the state is not going to allow us to have the local control of the schools, we might as well eliminate school boards and just let the legislature be a school board of 150. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that would work very well. Uh, yeah. No. At least that's my opinion. <laughs> right. Well, you want to make uh, decisions closest to students. So uh, I am concerned that House and Road Act 1001 was the biggest piece of legislation in the last 30 years relative to school. And there were some unintended consequences, I think, of that. So I, I think there will be some folks uh, talk about that. There's some unintended consequences in terms of uh, probably tax credits and, and assessments and, uh, and how all that works. Uh, there, there's this efficiency report, and I know that there's opportunities in the Kern and Shepherd report for efficiencies, and you know I support some of uh, some of that. But I also want, you know, fundamentally, I believe that that education is a service and not a commodity. So always looking at education from a business perspective, rather than this is a service and it's a it's a not a burden, but it's a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's some f- fundamental things that I think that we need to talk about and balance. And a lot of that is about the folks making, if they're willing to pay the freight and, and willing to do what they want to do in their local communities, that 
that folks in Indianapolis need to listen to that. Well, and it remains the bedrock of our society. Absolutely. And, you know, so I think right. it, that makes it unique right. in, in my opinion. Well, yeah. I'm, that is a soapbox I can very easily climb right. on, which I will spare right. you. Um, let's talk while we're talking about politics and policies and that sort of thing. Let's talk about No Child Left Behind. Pretty battered and bruised, a uh, lot, of, lot of detractors. We've got new folks coming in on the national level. Mm-hmm. Um, are you getting any inkling of what's going to happen there? Well, I personally feel like that overall – no Child Left Behind has been a plus for education. However, there's some issues there uh, where we ask uh, every child to reach a certain level and we know that's not possible. Uh, probably we're going to see some changes there with the uh, Democratic majority, uh, but that would be speculation on my part. I also agree that the intent of No Child Left Behind was good. I mm-hmm. think there's some uh, some inconsistencies between the, the federal accountability system and the state accountability system when you can have a school that's a four-star school but fails adequate yearly progress. How, do, how mm-hmm. does that work? So there's mm-hmm. some, some inconsistencies. One of the big fears in both candidates uh, for president had a pretty strong preschool or early childhood component to their campaigns. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what this – the current economy means, but we're among a handful of states that really doesn't have an infrastructure here for this uh, early childhood right. and a right. preschool, and thus there could be billions of dollars potentially out there in a nation, and Indiana could be left out mm-hmm. because we don't have a structure, and that is the best investment we can make is before they get to kindergarten is to, to invest in our students. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can join us at wfiu.org slash noon. Our guests are Superintendent of Schools Steve Kane from Richland Bean Blossom and John Quick, who's the superintendent at Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation. Uh, boy, we're, we've got about 10 or 15 minutes to go, and, and the topics just are starting to come to me now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've got lots and lots. Go ahead. Uh, well, I want to ask about the, uh, the, the Kern and Shepherd report. Um, you brought it up, um, John. And the, the, the element in there, I believe, is that perhaps school corporations should be required to have at least 2,000 mm-hmm. students in them, um, or there would need to be consolidations. Um, does that seem like a good idea or a bad idea? Does that worry you? Well, in both of our cases, we're not going to be affected by it unless some smaller district near us would be brought to us. Mm-hmm. But there are districts throughout the state that could be joined because of their proximity and their size. But there has to be some – economies of scale, uh, but I don't know that there's a magic 2,000 number. Uh, there is probably a number probably closer to 1,500 maybe that uh, would uh, work. But when you look around the state at the smaller districts, uh, so the, some of them are so scattered that it just would not work to uh, put them together. Uh, we were at uh, New Harmony uh, together not too long ago and New Harmony is a very small school district, but uh, geographically and logistically, I can't see uh, how they're going to benefit that much by consolidating with a 
larger district. My guess is that Brown County would maybe not have 2,000 students in the school district. Oh, I mm-hmm. think they do, don't they? Uh, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but it could be. But, okay. but you think about the geography there now, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and again, you make you make a valid point. I think one of the maybe a, folks thought that the lowest fruit on that was the assessor issue, which was also on the on the ballot this time. And I think most of the time, folks said let's let's combine that. But uh, some of the other report, uh, well, they make some good points and some good ideas. Uh, I'm not sure that. Uh, a lot of time was spent to see if this is really research-based or there's an assumption that maybe some of the superintendents and small districts aren't already buying cooperatively or already doing some of these things. And, you know, these folks are all all have a money crunch just like we do. So, you know, they're pretty smart uh, ladies and gentlemen out there running those districts and they're trying to get, you know, the, the much bang for the buck as they yeah. can already. Well, I hope I didn't uh, alienate anybody in Brown County by saying that. But yeah. I know that our, our neighbors in Greene County, there are the, the five school districts yes. out there and I'm they're, sure they would be affected by that. Yeah, We've had a couple of emails come in. Um, this first one um, is for Superintendent Quick. Could you comment on the role of BCSC in the Community Education Coalition? Okay. Well, first of all, we've had a really strong uh, coalition. Uh, there was a community study that was conducted in the, in the mid-'90s commissioned by the Hudson Institute mm-hmm. and in that talked about, you know, education is where you need to invest and we're all for that. So, uh, And we ha- actually uh, have a great facility, uh, the Center for Teaching and Learning uh, between uh, Ivy Tech and IUPUC and we talk about the airport campus and, and we have uh, – and we've leveraged, been able to leverage. If you think, if I think about, there's been uh, tens of millions of dollars leveraged to our community because of this coalition that we've put together. Whether we're talking about advanced manufacturing as a pathway, which is you know is key, and there's going to be a new building out the airport about around advanced manufacturing to higher ed to allow uh, developing a community. Uh, uh, community college system with Ivy Tech there and then the four-year degree at IUPUC. So we're very fortunate that the community leaders have come together and said, you know, instead of finger pointing and, you know, putting the finger in the chest and say, you need to do this or that, let's say, well, how can we work together? So BCSC is, uh, is at the table and have been at the table now for more than a decade and, and, and there have been tremendous benefits for, for our students. Okay. Here's another one that came in. Um, with the challenges that lie ahead for local students to remain competitive in a global marketplace and cutbacks on spending, what role do you see for exploring art in relation to sciences, math, and humanities? This is always an important issue here in Bloomington, especially. We worry about our arts a lot. Steve, do you want to start with that? Well, I'm uh, a liberal arts graduate myself, so I am in favor of uh, – a broad-based education that includes the arts and will do everything I can personally uh, and uh, mm-hmm. either as a superintendent or as uh, just a school patron to uh, see that the arts are not neglected uh, and uh, our community is very strong in the arts. You have a, a terrific bunch of musical programs at Edgewood. We, we have a history yeah. of uh, great music uh, and a lot of that is because of uh, family and uh, parent support uh, throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we believe in educating the whole child and arts is a big part of it and we know that there's a lot of research that that's, that uh, supports the exposure to the arts and, uh, and Columbus is a community that uh, is really strong in the arts. You probably saw that 
the uh, Indianapolis Museum is, mm-hmm. is with the with the uh, Miller Home, which is a terrific addition. Mm-hmm. We have a Philharmonic and mm-hmm. uh, in town, and I know I, was, I serve on a. The Heritage Fund, which is a community uh, foundation, they, there was another grant to the Philharmonic today, I think, on that at the board meeting earlier. So, yeah, it is important. And, uh, you know, we have trem- tremendous band, marching band programs. And, and so the students, probably the hardest working students in our district may be the band students, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I want to ask about the, the effects of the economy on both your school districts. I mean, we their gas prices, of course, have gone down now, but there are all sorts of other impacts of the economy that have just changed the way people are living today. It seems to me, um, what kind of impact has that had on the RBB on Richland Bee Blossom? Well, we we do see uh, more and more students uh, asking, or parents asking for uh, support with. Uh, free and reduced lunch, uh, those numbers have gone up. And uh, it's increasingly difficult for the kids to come up with uh, the extra dollars that they're asked to uh, come forth with every once in a while. And uh, we're trying to avoid those situations where someone doesn't participate in something that uh, based on their inability to pay. Have you had any structural changes because of uh – you know, not being able to send buses to places for field trips or anything of that nature? We've reduced um, the field trips a great deal and also uh, t- taken a look at the mileage involved. Of course, we have a real advantage being here in Monroe County. We have so many opportunities uh, for kids right here in Monroe County, so we don't have to travel as much. Uh, we do have issues, uh, especially in athletics, with uh, some of the uh, – uh, events that we have traditionally scheduled. We go all the way almost to Lake Michigan for a mm-hmm. cross-country meet and those kind of things are very expensive and we've taken a look at uh, the possibility of charging uh, athletes and the athletic departments uh, for their costs. Uh, the music department uh, does pay uh, for their out-of-state trips and we've been trying to support those as much as possible. And and they recognize the problem that parents have that while it's great for uh, a choir to go to St. Louis, a lot of the parents go along and it's become more and more difficult for those parents to um, come up with the money for that. Right. The, there's a learning correlation between uh, you know uh, what happens in the economy and, what, what, and the students walking through the door. I think our elementary is now we're 44 percent lunch assistance, which would probably surprise folks if you think of Columbus when – of course, you know, we certainly have a lot of veneers at the top of, uh, of that of the salary schedule and our students are really performing well. But, we, you know, we had 2,200 FEMA applications after the flood too. So we have a really resilient community. But uh, we, we've had our challenges, but, but Columbus again and again steps up. Now, we've, we've seen some reduction in field trips, and we, we charge a little more per mile for some of the field trips. But uh, the principals really pride themselves in that no student will be denied, you know, any book, any, any class, any fee. Uh, we also have a school foundation that's really uh, helped a lot. And if you want to take uh, uh, dual credit courses uh, and you're, you, know, you don't have the money for that tuition, uh, you can do that too if you want to take a high school course uh, or a college course while you're in high school. So uh, it, it takes the community to look at those uh, voids and try to, try to plug some of those voids. Steve, I know that um, Tina Peterson works really hard on behalf of MCCSC um, on, in their foundation. Do you ha- also have a foundation? And- yes, we do have a school foundation. has been in uh, 
Force for about 15 years, and uh, we have been uh, working on fundraising. Uh, one of the uh, exciting things we did last year was uh, a program called Are You Smarter Than an RBB Fifth Grader? <laughs> and uh, we raised uh, several thousand dollars through that activity and uh, became uh, quite an exciting event in the Last year's fourth graders are looking forward to this year's activity, and the school corporation has uh, committed to uh, spend uh, or donate money to the foundation on a matching basis uh, this coming year, and hopefully uh, we we started that off Monday night with uh, a donation from our school attorney, and uh, looking forward to additional things happening there. How much does uh, the need for new technology in the school corporation impact the budget? Tremendously. <laughs> uh, we we uh, spent uh, half a million dollars this past year on new computers uh, just to equip. We have 4,600 computers in our, in our school district and, and it's more than 3 million annual just keeping up with, with the technology. And, and in our students who are the Signature Academy, every student third to ninth grade has their own laptop mm-hmm. uh, is part of that project-based learning. So, But, you know, the, the bridging the gaps between segmented groups, in other words, students that are on lunch assistance, not on lunch assistance, minority students, one of the, one of the tools and where we're seeing it makes a difference is if we put a lot of technology in the hands of those students that might not have those advantages at home, then they start to catch up. So mm-hmm. if you want to, you know, if you want to try to 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 lessen this gap, then technology has to be a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Steve, how do your numbers for free and reduced lunch compare to 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 forty four percent? We're, uh, I guess, better shape twenty five percent total on free and reduced lunch. Uh, there are districts throughout the state are sixty and seventy percent. So yeah, I'm just floored uh, by that number. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah, I don't know what the MCCSC number is, but we all know that either. there are some elementary schools that have mm-hmm. very high right. yeah. free and reduced lunch. On the uh, technology end of it, how how do you keep up? I mean, you, John, you mentioned it's really hard mm-hmm. to keep up with technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about you know the phone that I have in my pocket, which I, you know, I'm very mm-hmm. proud of, but probably mm-hmm. most kids today would look at it and think, oh, my gosh, where's he, where's he been mm-hmm. you know, with all the new options that <laughs> right. people have? Um, do you have a committee that tries to keep up with these things? We do have. We have a... Two, actually two committees uh, working on technology and one of the uh, committees that uh, is spending quite a bit of time right now is the uh, committee that uh, to focus on instructional uses of technology. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to buy the mm-hmm. uh, computer mm-hmm. and have it in the classroom, but you've got to have uh, the ability to use it instructionally. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, as we... Uh, have new staff members come forward, they do uh, have a lot more ability than some of our more senior staff members. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so uh, it, it's a constant battle to keep it. Yeah. Our students are digital natives, and, mm-hmm. and some of us are <laughs> yeah. digital immigrants, I think. And, <laughs> oh, there you and, go. Uh, uh, That's well put. Yeah. The, um, uh, probably the biggest demand I hear from teachers is for smart boards, we have a, oh, which yeah, is a 21st century, you know, and I hear a lot of that. We are implementing or second year in the implementation of a data warehousing system, and that's, that's important to us about, uh, educa- you know, looking at the data, 
writing queries so that we can uh, slice and dice this data to see, you know, what are the results and how and what are the interventions that you've designed and do they make a difference? Mm-hmm. So what do you need to continue to do and what should you stop doing? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's an important part of it is making you know, uh, curriculum uh, decisions uh, based on data on a regular basis. All right. We have about a minute, minute and a half to go. And so I want to give you the opportunity since we're entering the holiday season. What, what would you like from the patrons of your school corporation? Well, for me, uh, I'm looking forward to support uh, from the patrons for the education of all students. And anything that they can do to step forward and uh, support uh, the best learning environment for our kids is what I'm hoping for. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, to expand on the connection, they're connecting real well to our literacy. We have 500 volunteers now that do our book buddies, which is a second grade tutoring program. I do that once a week. So really connection to that and, and supporting our multiple pathways and also the, the fairness and equity issue, the access issue. And that's uh, – we haven't talked a lot about that today, but that's awfully important to us too. Yeah, we could have talked about a lot of things. So hopefully sure. you guys will both come back sure. in, a, in a few months and we'll – We'll check in again. Okay. Uh, but we are out of time. I want to thank Mary Catherine for being here with us today, of course, as always. And I want to thank our guests, um, Superintendent John Quick and Superintendent Steve Kane, for our producer, Ariana Prothero, and our engineer, Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.